This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus and Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. All 13 flight controllers, listen up. Give me a go, no go for launch. Booster. Go. Retro. Go. Vital. We're go fly. Guidance. Guidance go. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Capcom. We're go fly. Launch control, this is Houston. We are go for launch. Welcome to Sea to Sky podcast. We're here with Ted Pryor, Squamish counselor, and Susan Chappelle. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for having us. All right. So we're talking about the subject that everyone wants to talk about. I don't think anybody is not interested in real estate. Am I, am I wrong in that assumption? I think you're correct in that assumption. Some of the smart people aren't interested in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first question is, um, what are we going to do if there's no more places for people who want to come and live and work in Squamish, if there's no place for them to live? That's a really interesting question. You know, we have a very limited land base. I've been saying that for years, and people have disagreed with me. Um, the mayor disagreed with me quite often, saying that we didn't have, that we actually had quite a large land base. Right now, currently, we have an application, I would say, on pretty much every piece of land in our district, and some of it now is being amalgamated. And I couldn't agree with you more. I wonder the same thing. Where are we going to put people? And now is the time basically where we have to preserve areas. If we want areas to be preserved, now is the time that we have to really be conscious of paying attention to public input and paying attention to what is going on with our official city plan. Uh, The official community plan, which is being engaged on on the 12th and 13th of March, uh, basically dictates our zoning and tells us where we can build housing and where we shouldn't build housing. So that with that and density, we're hoping that we should be able to fit, staff says what, Ted, 34,000? Yeah, well, I see it a little bit different. We've got just in the downtown of Squamish, close to 3,500 3, units approved in the downtown. We've got probably in the whole of the Squamish, maybe 65, Hundred units on the go right now, so we're we're filling units at the rate of five hundred a year right now. So five hundred are being built and filled. So that's seven year supply. The last time this happened is when the bottom dropped out. So you know I see on um, the multimedia now I see oh apartment for rent. Two bedroom apartment for rent. So they're starting to. I think, you know, I think there is a change coming in that, which is a little bit worrisome, but uh, there is one heck of a lot of, you, you know, you drive around downtown and see, you can see it four story, six story, six story, eight story. So, yeah, Ted, I totally agree with you that we, we do, we will have occupancy for quite a few people coming up. And I think it's even more. Um, uh, I think it was 6,000 approved units in the downtown the last time we did, uh, somebody measured for us. And uh, I don't disagree. There's going to be a, a huge bubble of uh, a lot of occupancy for a while. But, uh, you know, we have land used to plan for for 100 years. And, you know, you can look 10 years out and say that we're going to have enough housing to fill, although our property, the cost of property is going to be driven by the lower mainland as well as if you look at globalization and the amount of people coming to our area is going to be immense. And even just the fact of climate change and refugees, you look at billions of people around the world that are being displaced by changing climate and changing circumstances, not just uh, climate, but geopolitical problems around the world, 
Marcus, you worked in the in the Middle East. I'm sure you can speak to that. So if you look at our area as being a desirable place to live that's on the ocean, in the mountains, there's very few communities in the world that are like that. And the word is out. People keep saying that people know where Squamish is now. I wonder where if we do get this mass of people that are moving to Vancouver and can't live there because of affordability, and we're just north with the same transportation options and a, and a highway that you can drive, what's going to happen with congestion, with transportation planning, how many people can we fit down here and not have those amenities? It's going to be an interesting thing, Ted. Yeah, and I, Ted, I know, because we, we've talked about this in the past, and you brought up uh, that point, that very point, that if it becomes so congested, then the quality of life that we have, the thing that draws people here, and you're spending an hour on the freeway trying to commute to Vancouver, well, no, it's no longer an attractive option. So, I mean, I guess that's a point. And this is something I know that's close to Marcus's heart, because of course he owns a small business here, is where are we going to put, you know, why can't we get people working and living here as opposed to commuting? They are working and living here. You know, Marcus is a perfect example. He moved here and he's starting a small business. Um, there's more and more people working from home and, you know, less people commuting. You know, the commute will, there'll be a boat someday. There'll be, you know, there's all sorts of options that we haven't seen yet, you know, but, there is so many people coming and you talk about, um, you know, quality of life and that, and you can see it pushing over onto the estuary. You know, we've got that site over there that's being looked at and it's, you know, you can see the push everywhere. So it, it the town's changing yeah. big time. And so that, that's also an aspect of it where a lot of people are selling and leaving a lot of people. So uh, the town is changing, but it's been changing for a while. I mean, at the, um, I, I moved here originally, uh, what well, was 98 I originally moved here and this is this when the I called it the identity crisis of Squamish happened uh, where it started moving towards where we have today um, and so th there should have been like I must not say should have but you know there, there should have been some forethought there and the fact that right now it doesn't seem like um, because they're all crammed together I mean you're getting you're getting townhomes and townhomes all struck together and and it just seems like there's you're right there's gonna be a big strain on amenities when you start cramming people up here uh and then of course uh if, if, the, if the amenities are not available that means property taxes go up and then you know like for me i i, I luckily bought my home in 99 luckily i have my home because <laughs> i wouldn't be able to afford to live here let's put it that way if i didn't own my home already and and it's great that my property value has quadrupled but my property taxes have also increased when I first bought my place I mean my property taxes were in the mid thousands now it's four times that and I and one of those things where people where they're paying more and more property tax uh, and not seeing the same benefits that they had before is where I think uh, a lot of people are who live here have issue with so I mean and then you have but then you have congestion but let but yet my property tax is coming up so more people are coming but yet my property taxes are going up and that, and that thing that is also what, what people are concerned with. And there's been a lot of ideas that have been tabled, like let's get some businesses up here. Uh, let's build some uh, like a business park. Let's get them paying some property taxes. Let's get some people putting money back into the district. And uh, but now you've been saying how there's a, a, a space problem. So, I mean, it's, it's trying to find that balance. And I'm, I'm just wondering, where is that balance? Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, as a little council that we are, all those things that you lift, I mean, we have we have the uh, planning department and our engineering department and all that. We meet once a week. 
And, uh, you, you know, the best thing we can do is go kind of down the middle of the road. But we're not anywhere sophisticated enough to make the decisions to answer a lot of those questions. You know, we're just not there. Oh, Ted, I disagree. I think that we have, you know, I think the problem is in municipal politics that a lot of our, I love planners. I think planners are an amazing planning and the, the structure of the planning department is amazing. I just did a degree in economy. And, you know, with, a, with, with my degree now, I, I look completely differently at our land use planning. And Marcus, I agree that you can't always just raise taxes. You have to have some industry. And we currently don't build, we've lost industry. Basically, we've rezoned a lot of our land. And in fairness, you have to follow the economy and watch where it's going. But you have to make sure to have adequate space for economics to happen. And we have such a dearth of space. And a lot of businesses, I, Ted, I agree, we have a lot of home-based businesses and people that want to work here, but we have no space. We just opened Aligned Collective as a solution to that where we parse out real estate's too expensive. Our mortgage and our taxes, our, or our uh, payment on our lease is equal to our payment in taxes and amenities. So that is incredibly unaffordable. And it gives a very small runway. If you want to start up a business, there's no runway for you to actually uh, be able to plan out a business, build your business, build your clientele. You basically have to be full within the first two or three months of opening. And that means a really robust business plan, no entrepreneurship, because you have to be a robust business person to make that model work. Your expenses are going to overrun your, your, uh, uh, your business expenses are going to exceed what you have to pay out every month. And it will mean a lot of rotation of businesses. So, and we also don't have all our businesses that we're building are ground floor retail space. We have within maybe 10 years, Ted, would you say, that we're going to have 50,000 square foot across the river? Yeah. And hopefully those spaces. Every, every building that's being built in the downtown right now has to have second floor office, thanks to Sue. I mean, Sue's been pushing this for a long time. We now, when we look at rezonings, well, we look at them differently, but that's, that's the planning department and everybody working together as a council. And three years later, we start making people put in office. And that's why I'm talking about how we function as a council. I mean, a problem comes up, we go, okay, we'll have to study that. Well, we don't have that in our financial plan this year. We'll put it on the financial plan for next year to do a study on that. And so the next year, well, we'll bump that. And now it's the third year. And it's like, you know, that's how we move stuff forward. But we are building all sorts of um, industrial buildings going in right now in the in the business park. For a young person to start a business here, I say to a lot of young people, get the hell out of Squamish. You're not going to make it here. Because if you're a guy that puts on siding or, or does concrete foundations or things like that, and you want to start your business and you buy your pickup and your tools and hope you go to work, well, there's no way you're ever going to buy a place. You know, so it's 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 a no starter for a lot of those guys. Yeah, you say that, but then you know the other problem is is that just up the highway, we keep talking about people coming up from the lower mainland, but just up the highway, you got Whistler, and they got bought out by the was it the Vale yeah Vale Corp, and they have no inclination to build employee housing. In fact, they look at their Colorado resorts where everyone commutes in, so they're looking. I mean, it's not going to be Pemberton because they're not going to build anything up there. So that means Squamish. And okay, so where are we going to put all those Whistler people? That's tough. They have a housing corporation. The Whistler uh, Council had the foresight to have a housing authority uh, 
was about 20 years ago they put in the housing authority so that they could have employee housing. But they also had a mandate to keep their employees in town. I don't know what that's going to look like with Vailcorp, but uh, it is they, they are also they have, are at zero vacancy as well. Uh, we have not had the foresight to have a housing authority. Yeah, but Sue, on that, I mean, that's another topic that's one of Sue's favorite topics, yeah. and she's been lobbying for this housing authority. And and I got to hand it to Susan on a lot of these things. Like she started squawking about that a couple years ago. And it might not have taken notice, but now we're all looking at it. And we will have a housing authority. We're working on that now, but that's how we work. It's a talk now, and three or four la- years later, we'll get it. And so, you know, that's it's been one of seven years, though, Ted. Like, I've been talk- squawking for seven years, and we still don't have policy that forces developers to build affordable housing. We're looking at community amenity contributions. It's not enough. You can't take in a few thousand dollars and hope it's going to solve your housing problem. You have to have some sort of policy that says you are building affordable units. Whistler has policy that says 15 to 20% of units built have to be in the, in the housing authority. Okay, but, but here's the problem. If you say 15 to 20% have to be in the housing authority, developers are going to look at that and they're going to say, well, no thanks, we'll go to Burnaby. We'll build in Burnaby. Because they're going to say, here's what construction costs are, here's what land costs are, and you know our margins are probably 15%. That's where 15%. you have to density bonus. You definitely have to, you can't just say, here's your building, this is going to be, X number is going to be affordable. You have to make it uh, appealing to the developer for sure. And sometimes that means height bonuses. Sometimes that means parking leniencies. It depends how badly you need the units. If you need the units, you have to come up with ways that is affordable. And uh, yeah, Ted knows much well, more. One of, the, one of the things I've been doing recently is really paying attention to staff's recommendations. So I read in my package staff's recommendations. And I go, okay, I mean, like these guys you are used to dealing with us, and you were just praising the planning department just a minute ago. And, uh, you know, we do have some smart planners, but why don't we have a housing authority? We have smart planners, so why don't we have one? Sue? Because we don't, we have, a, we have people that watch our economy <laughs> as far as our budget. Their job is to budget, but their job isn't to look at the economy of what we're doing. So planners aren't economists. And you can't look at supply and demand and be able to figure out the, you know, like how much, how much are things costing us? What are the long-term financial repercussions of building on your green space? What are the, you know, like asking the tough questions that one department, like the planning department, they're planners. They can't really... <laughs> the, the the planning department looks at what's the best land use, but not really at how much is that land use going to bring in in taxes. What are you know like are we are we bringing in enough taxes? Are we building density? But what are what are the repercussions of building massive amounts of density? When do we need to renew our infrastructure and our which is engineering's job? But now all these par- departments work in very small silos. But I, I have to ask you, how successful really is the Whistler Housing Authority? It, it has provided housing for mainly for middle management types. But for the kids that want to come here from Australia or they want to come here from Prince George and they want to, you know, ski and hopefully maybe even stay here and, you know, start a business, start a family, live here permanently. Because that used to be the situation you saw in the quarter. You saw that in Whistler. You even saw that in Squamish. People came here from all the world for the lifestyle, and then they loved it, and they stayed because they could. But you can't do that because there's no rentals. So, yeah, you have a housing authority and maybe middle managers, people that, you know, they have a family. They're making, you know, 70000 80000 they can They can buy a place. 
that's no good for a kid coming out of high school or coming out of college that needs to rent a place. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, right? I mean, he's, he's sort of touching where I was going to go lead to because, I mean, the kids who grew up here, right, they'll go to school, and then when they come back here, now they, they can't live here. There's, there's, unless they move into, uh, my kids move back in with me and then do, you know, and, and start their own thing. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of impossible. I mean, Vancouver, they, they, the affordable housing now is $3,700 a month. That's what Vancouver considers affordable housing. And thankfully we're not there yet, but it just, it feels like without someone planning like the, like an authority, uh, what's going on and also trying to maybe diversify the income for the towns instead of just property tax. Like we, like we were talking about business idea, but uh, tourism might not be it either. I mean, tourism is in Whistler. We got tourism in Vancouver. We, yeah, we have some stuff here, but we can't bank on that. So, I mean, yeah, we should plan our housing, but then we also should be thinking about diversifying the income. Well, a lot of people bank on tourism, and a lot of people have businesses that they make a nice living. But eighty thousand is not going. Eighty thousand a year is not going to buy you a place. Um, the Whistler Housing Authority, when I was on the SLRD, the meetings that I had been there, they're doing pretty good. And uh, you know, they they were their target is to house eighty percent of their employers or in their employees. And that was, and I said to them in the meeting, I said, well, you better make it a little bigger because all our employees, you know, the guys living here yeah. work in Whistler. So, so part of this housing authority as it evolves will be, we will be making housing for Whistler employees here. I mean, that's how it has to go. But, uh, yeah, the, you know, they're not doing bad, the stats that I saw on it. And so I, and that's why we were talking about copying chest. them. <laughs> they have, they have quite a lot of money and they can do their own developments because they have that cash in the bank. They can subsidize projects. They can, uh, yeah, they have quite a lot of money in the bank. But we, we're approving, there's a, a development coming down the pipe here and I think it's 60 units. So it's been fast tracked because in our policy, our new policy is anyone that will build purpose built rentals. So a hundred percent rentals will get fast tracked. The first, since we made that policy six months ago, the first one's coming through now and it's going to be, and I think it's 60 or 68 units. So they've been pushed right to the front. They've gone through the design. They've got designs approved. It's coming into council and it'll just go bang, bang, bang. And they'll be, they'll be building that this spring. Okay. That's 60 unit purpose built. That's hundred percent rentals. And so most of the units that we're doing now, most of the developments we're doing now, we're saying to everybody, okay, you have to have 20% rentals or 10. It used to be 10% purpose-built rentals. We're going to have so many rentals here eventually that it's, it's, I see it knocking the prices down. You know, like these guys that have these units and, and they'll be going, oh, I got a one bedroom for, for 1600 a month and you're not renting it out, so you're going to go, well, 1200 a month. You know, I do see some kind of shift coming because we are approving a lot of that stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's quite a lot of purpose-built rentals coming on, but they're market price. So, uh, you know, uh, for one bedroom, it's 25, you know, some of the Mamquan Blind Channel purpose-built rental is incredibly unaffordable. And Marcus, to your point, I think that people, uh, especially our kids, where we grew up and it was possible to have a one-bedroom apartment and actually live on your own, our kids are going to grow up in a time where space is a lot more of a commodity and our kids are going to grow up having to live in apartments with each other so that you're going to have four kids to a house or two kids in an apartment. And I just, I don't see, and I think that uh, globally we've been very lucky to have 
we in Canada, we are extremely, we have a lot of space and we have a lot of space to build into too. But if you're doing things sensibly and economically, you're building density where you have an infrastructure uh, or you're planning density so that you can afford the renewal of your infrastructure in the future. So that you're looking at the cost of the housing, how much tax is that bringing in? And in the future, how much of that is uh, going to go towards infrastructure renewal. Okay, so since we're talking about space, let's let me ask the two of you: How dense do you want to go? And this is something that you know I've heard talk about here in Squamish for oh god, you know, a decade and a half, talking about the oceanfront and the waterfront lands. We had the debate about the towers. We had the debate about units per uh, per acre down on on the oceanfront lands. Now a lot of people. And, you know, to your point about going in the future, how people are going to live, you know, we're not going to live in single family housing. You know, I think that's the reality. Yeah, we may have to share. But the other thing is people probably they're not going to be looking at having a, a house. They're going to be looking at having an apartment. So that is going to take away some, you know, if you use the land base a little more sensibly. And I mean, my thinking is you build dense. You build on the brownfield sites that we have. They're sitting there. What do we got? 60 acres that is sitting there and you build dense. But, you know, I'm not sitting on council. So let me ask you two, how dense do you want to go? Well, it's funny that uh, when you talk about the SODC lands, which is 66 acres, originally when the charrette was being done on there, there was, uh, I forget the urban planner's name. And he said, Cameron Chalmers. Yeah. no, no, urban planner. Oh. It was uh, some guy from, he was from Greece. Easy. No, that was a Vancouver guy. Anyway, he said, and he even drew a, draw, a drawing of it. He said, on these 65 acres, you could get, in a European standard, 30,000 people on those 65 acres. And that, that would be like going to, you know, like some European country, right. you know, some little city in Europe. 30,000 people. So we're putting 30... We're putting, absolutely, we're putting 3,500 on the SODC site. The old mill site over there is 1,100, 9 to 1,100, and they're starting now. They're starting their first phase now. There's a first 1,000 units coming on, and they'll be breaking, they've broken ground, and they're putting in their sales center. So, and we have our first eight-story coming to council tomorrow. So how dense do, I mean... how dense do I want to see it? I mean, I like a few towers here and there, but it's not what I want. It's not what any one of us wants. It's what the developers bring into us. It's not what Europe has either. Europe's dense, but Europe is built with sixplexes and fourplexes, and the whole idea of the missing middle, I believe, is that exact conversation. Is you know, if you want European density, you build dense, but you build low, and you maintain the neighborhood-like feel and have neighborhood commercial everywhere so everything's walkable. We've and been we've been talking about the downtown neighborhood plan Al since well since you left in 2008, <laughs> you know. So we've had so let the record show he's pointing at Marcus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well since you well, you left later, but but you know, and so I mean I get a real kick out of it because you know, we had to stop development on Cleveland Avenue there last year. We had to stop it because it was out of control. And we were getting all these six-story boxes. And it's like, oh, my God. And we had nothing we could do apart from stopping it, which we did. Planners, you know, the, the planners recommended that, which was a good thing. So we stopped that. But we, all around the peripheral, we're still still getting the six and eight. But, you know, like, we're, we're not in control like, like 
you think you might be. Well, do you, do you feel like, uh, you, are you trying to maintain, like, say, a Squamish identity? Like, I mean, if you start building tower, towers and eight-foot story things and cramming people into apartments, I mean, that you know, Squamish has always been the recreational capital of Canada, outdoors. It's the OCP as our identity. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's it, you know, you also have to make a place attractive, right, for people to move in. And, and there are certain qualities that Squamish has. Um, so if you build ultra dense, don't you sort of lose that or it doesn't really matter? Like what, what at the four, like what, what's, what's taking precedent here? You lose it for me because I like small towns. So when you get that density, it's not a small town anymore. So for people that like a little bigger towns with all the outdoor rec for them, it's fabulous. But take the estuary over there. I mean, you can imagine the beating that that's going to take when we've got, 5,000 people living in the downtown. Yeah, I totally agree, Ted. And also, uh, with small living, you know, Marcus, you say outdoor recreation. People come here to ride their bikes. They come here to paddleboard. They, the amount of recreation gear. And these small apartments don't have the storage that people need. They Most people that are moving here are looking for a place to live in a smaller town, as Ted says, with their family, to have recreation gear, to be able to ride their bikes after work. And you know, our single family properties are being brought up by developers and amalgamating 10, 15 houses at a time in our downtown and then putting up six to eight story boxes with less parking, one one parking space per stall. And you mentioned work, 40% of our population commutes south. So to say that we have work in town, it's great that people work out of their houses, but that's because they don't want to drive a highway every day and they may get a license because they want to work at home one or two days a week. But people working out of their houses doesn't pay taxes. And most people don't sign up for business licenses. Many have been, but we haven't done anything to really entice people to sign up so that we can actually measure what people are doing here and understand the, the state of our work situation here. And to be able to help people that want to grow businesses, uh, you know, when you don't actually measure what's going on, how can you help people with what is your next business going to be? How can we help you? How can we facilitate? Do you need space? Do you need economics? What, what can we help you to do to help you grow a small business in town so that we maintain a local economy? And local economies are where you're, it's not inviting yeah. big business. Big business looks for tax incentives. They come in and so the next so tax incentives, they're out. On that, that's what you call benchmarking. So now the district's starting to think, well, Councillor Elliott's big on benchmarking, thank you know, which is good. It's nice having a diverse council, and, and she's big on benchmarking. I didn't really know much about benchmarking, so now we're doing all this benchmarking. Well, there's another step. Now you have to wait for the benchmarking before you do something. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 agree, I agree with, with Ted on that. We don't need another layer of bureaucracy. That's I what's agree. chased so many developments out of this town. Oh, no, I'm not talking about bureaucracy. I totally agree. But business licensing that we do already, you need to understand what those people are doing and be able to categorize. If you look at our business licensing, there is a monster building houses bubble. So we had three times more business licensing in the last two years. And all of that was in private, was in carpentry, house building, and the entire housing economy. There's nothing with entrepreneurship. There's nothing with uh, small business. There's 
you know, it's it's really hard to measure those things, but there's a lot of business licenses and a lot of home-based businesses. Okay, that's just, just to back up a bit though, because you were talking about developers buying up single family homes and amalgamate, and that's mm -hmm. exactly what's happening in Vancouver. Now, I remember I, I talked to a lady couple of summers ago in the Okanagan who used to live in the West End of Vancouver in the 1950s. And it was all single family housing, the West End. It was a single family neighborhood. Well, I mean, that's not realistic. That's not going to change that way. And we've got a hundred acres of brownfield waterfront property. That's, you know, that's not With gonna... one way in. One yeah. Okay. End. That's a whole, other, that's a got, whole other yeah, conversation. If you want to put density, I don't mind. I totally agree with you. If you're building on brownfield, I don't mind density at all. But I also think that if you don't have proper transportation planning, you can't just keep stuffing in density without amenities. You gotta, as Ted says, quality of life goes down. You need walkability, you need rideability. We don't have sidewalks in our downtown. We don't have sidewalks in the Highlands. People can't even walk. Like we have this math amount of density and not enough places for people to actually walk safely with their kids. But, but to your point, Al, the West End was houses at one time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, downtown Squamish was houses at one time, too. You know, I mean, that, right. that's what we're going to be saying in 20 years. Now, you look at the oceanfront, and, and right now it's 32 or 3,500 units planned for that. And it's like 65 acres. And in our wisdom, we've done a massive, very expensive, millions of dollars of money put into massive planning on that. And it's to be developed over the next 20 years. Do you think that plan will be followed? 15 years from now, not a chance. And, and so, yeah, there will be density down there because they'll say, oh, well, we were going to do all these three-story buildings in here, but heck, why don't we go eight now? We've you already know? done that with employment. You we've know, opened up the plan and, and so, but the key is what you said there about the West End. So all those changes can come here. And if you look, if you, if you squint your eyes and don't listen to all the stuff that we talk about and all the planners and all the people and just look and go okay in 20 years or 30 years one thing i find interesting the planners say ted the buildings we're building now are for a hundred years and i thought well that's 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 cool you know and, and so the parking lots in the buildings we're making the ceilings nine feet instead of seven six that's so we can convert them to living space when not everybody's driving cars anymore. Um, yeah, and and I think that's that's good. I'm glad to hear that for a change, somebody is thinking 100 years in the future because that's what they do in Europe, and I don't see that happening in North America. Now, you know, as you say, that what's going to happen downtown is what happened in the West End. Now, that woman that I talked to, that elderly woman who remembers single-family homes in the West End, she she thinks it's horrible. She talks about, oh, you could smell the ocean air, and, you know, people had yards. Yeah, that's great. And that would have been, I'm sure, an ideal place to live in a house in the West End. You could walk to English Bay. However, there's nothing wrong with the West End. People love living in the West End. So people say that the character is going to change in downtown Squamish. Well, you know what? It's going to change, but that doesn't mean it's going to ruin it. It could be a wonderful, walkable, um, high-density area that would also include parks, employment lands, um, amenities. I think... You know, there's a lot that can be done there. And I remember Cameron Chalmers talking about developing this, the form, for those of you who don't know, that's the former uh, district planner. Um, I remember him talking about the downtown lands and saying, you know, all of downtown could be walkable. Now, that's a great vision, and I don't know what's happened to it. It sounds like you guys are sort of on board with that, but there still seems to be some debate about 
where we're going to go with downtown and creating density and creating homes and creating employment lands. That's, you know, uh, Ted talked about me pushing for second floor office space because ground floor retail, once you put ground floor retail and density above and your, your expense of your housing will now dictate the expense of the retail space. So if you have million dollar condos above you, your ground floor retail space is going to be charged and you're going to have highly taxable that turns like it's basically turning it into retail space for mass market so like the gaps and the roots of the world will be able to afford retail space and ground floor retail space but look what's happened to berkeley berkeley is you know even though it's adjacent to san francisco they went with high density they reduced their parking limits they used all the planning paradigms that you're talking about they built very little workspace. They built ground floor retail space and then density up above. Um, they moved it all close to the university. They put in transit stops, which they thought everybody would use. And nobody used the transit stops. Everybody drives in Berkeley still. Everybody still has two cars because they all have to go to San Francisco to work because Berkeley didn't build comprehensive buildings. The one comprehensive, they started putting in accelerator businesses. So they started building businesses through economic accelerators that were government supported. They built amazing businesses, and as soon as they had staff, the businesses had to move out. So it's uh, even their theater, they didn't build parking because they built a transit stop and thought everybody would take transit, and the theater had trouble staying open because nobody would come to the theater without parking. So I, and, and parking and cars and the, that whole landscape is changing, but we talk about technology that, because we're used to seeing things so, happen so rapidly, and things are happening rapidly in, in like the global sense of things. But to think that, you know, even if you have driverless cars, they still need a place to go and plug in. They still need places to go and be maintained. So you're not building a carless area. You're actually increasing congestion because now everybody wants a driverless cars. Teslas, we already have driverless cars and they're single family owned. Um, and maybe we get driverless taxis where you can call one up, but it still needs a place to park. If you're going with electric vehicles, we haven't even kept up with electric vehicle infrastructure. So we have so much work to do to even just keep up with regular technology. You know, we don't have fast internet in a lot of the places that we work in. That's, you know, to talk about smart cities and, and how we're going to move forward. When we talk about all these ideal planning, like uh, like high density, if you don't have the amenities to do that with, like transportation and internet and parking, you make it incredibly unpleasant. The West End's great because it's walkable. You can, there's bike lanes everywhere. There's employment everywhere. A lot of our people are being employed down there. It's fantastic. But if we're just cramming density into the downtown and no places to work and just eight stories of condos everywhere with one road in and out we're building congestion and we're building unpleasantness and yeah it'll be nice on a saturday where everybody's walking around and we'll have a beautiful oceanfront walkway like ted said the estuary will be crammed full of people but are we're going to be you know we have uh we have plans on our green space now as well you know how much are we going to build density and just keep saying that density is a solution to the housing problem because density has never really fixed a housing problem it's just brought more people in and more expense vancouver the west end is a great example of that yeah i mean eventually prices are going to go up i mean i don't want to see downtown squamish and you know forgive me i'm not you know i'm not criticizing whistler but we don't want to see downtown squamish become whistler village i agree with that however if you look at Vancouver, Vancouver doesn't stipulate 
um, you know, they're, they're building more and more units without a parking spot attached. And that's Vancouver. That's a major city. And I know that we changed, the, they've already made amendments in parking um, requirements. I know that changed for Studio SQ on Cleveland. That happened over 10 years ago. So, I mean, it can be done. I mean, not everybody needs a car. And I think the reality is not everybody can have a car. I think, I think we all agree that's probably in our future. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. That's <laughs> Well, the, the, the thing is, like, right now, like, basically city infrastructures is all revol always revolved around parking where to stick your vehicle. And, and, and moving forward, you have to sort of plan uh, around the vehicle. But as if we're still being a bedroom community for Vancouver, we still need to think about that. We still need to think about vehicles and where to put them. And if a good population, if the good population or a good portion of the population here still has to commute to either Whistler or to Vancouver, you're going to need those vehicle space. Uh, so yeah, it's about having those, uh, like, where do you put the cars? And, you know, yeah, you can park the car somewhere and take the bus in or take tra public transport in, but people don't tend to do that. Everyone likes to say, I'm, I'm going to be clean and green, but make me go on the bus. No, I'm taking my car. So it, it's, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's finding like, we're at the, I think we're at a, a space now where, uh, where I say the younger folk would want to do that, but they're still uh, me and older folk who just won't get on a bus. And, and that, and it's, and then it's the, but the problem we're having now is that we're, the problem we're having is densification now. The housing problem is now, and we're in the, we're in the right at the tipping point of more of, of different technology coming through. So it, this is where I think they have that contradiction when it comes to planning. Yeah, we want to pre-plan for the future, but yet we're having the issue now. And what do we do? And, and, and at this point, I think I, I'm not I don't feel like there is a resolution. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to be happy, I think, well, at well, this point. But on that, you know, I just said that any development that comes through with a with 100 percent rentals gets pushed to the front. So that saves the developer a year and a half of of time and money. And it also, they get no development cost charges and the community amenities are, you know, I mean, the community amenities are, are the housing. So we're going to have, as these buildings roll out in the next few years, a, a few hundred rental units, okay, right away. I mean, so that's, that's how we reacted to it. Now, when you talk about parking, when the town 10 years ago was really slow, and we were getting development, but we weren't getting any development in the downtown. I was on council, so that would be six years ago, when we brought in incentives to attract development in the downtown. Two and a half years later, we had so much stuff going on in the downtown, we had to pull the incentives because we were getting all these buildings with no parking. It took us a year to pull them. Once we decided to pull those incentives... It took us a year. In the meanwhile, all this other development slipped we, in. We only incentivized no economic buildings, and we didn't get any. We no, got it zero. was it was one parking stall per unit for a, a, a building right. in the downtown, and zero parking stalls for commercial. Only for commercial, not for zero, residential. Zero parking stalls for commercial. So anyway, I, I think we we acted, but that's we what I was saying earlier. Is we're you know we make a decision to do something. It takes four years. You don't just go, oh, we got to do this. I mean, very rarely will we do something like that. Yeah, but as to what Susan said, what? why didn't you get any commercial buildings? We got, we got, 
the one building that Susan's in is a commercial building. Yeah, but that didn't have parking. Yeah. That building and had to fight. That was before the parking leniencies. Yeah. And, and, and that didn't, that every didn't building that's being built now that with those incentives. Now, those guys got those incentives. No, we didn't. It doesn't mean that they're built. I mean, they, they've got their land. They rezoned it. They got their incentives. It's like the ones coming down the waterfront, you know, like those big yeah. units coming down there. 2.2 parking stalls at, at for at 246. So there'll be about 800 units along the waterfront with 2.2 parking stalls. So that means, or 1.2 parking stalls. So that's that's 1,000 units for 800, 1,000 parking stalls for 800 units, and 300 of those are three-bedroom units. Okay? You, you already see the problems that we're having with parking down there. But that was the incentive, and they jumped on that incentive. Ted, that was, he built residential buildings, and the, they, the residential buildings had no incentives. The, the incentive for parking was only for commercial buildings and the, the, uh, that ran out at the same time as the incentive for the business park. We had tax incentives on both, both sites, but we had po parking incentives for commercial buildings. And I think in our new bylaws, we also have parking incentives for commercial buildings on Cleveland, just in that one block of Cleveland Avenue. But before we didn't get, we haven't gotten any commercial. We've only gotten ground floor commercial and even the new Mamquan blind channel uh, has no second floor commercial. It only has three ground floor commercial spaces that would be excellent for a restaurant, but office space, professional space, we still don't have any. Right. And that's the problem. We're seeing a lot of what commercial we're seeing. It's all retail. But the thing is, if, and Marcus brought this up earlier, I don't think we were recording at that point, but if we do say, say we got in a, 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 a server farm or a big, you know, tech company came in here and we needed, you know, 500 employment spaces. Where are those people going to live? The oceanfront is, would you say, Dad? Well, where are they going to live? I mean, they're yeah. going to buy <laughs> buy apartments, but where, where is the, the, the oceanfront is set up for that. I mean, that's what we're, we've got for a whole area space. down there for, for a tech hub. Or there's 500, there's a uh, 50,000 square feet of, of commercial space on the other side as well in the brownfield site and the waterfront landing site that we had to push for as well but uh, we, we have one guy that comes to our council meetings and sits in the back a lot of being doug day and who who's yeah but he's a businessman and he goes he goes listen when commercial space is really required somebody will build one somebody will build a building you know let let the market dictate so right now in commercial space, developers say, if I build that commercial space, I'm not going to rent it out. So you're, you're forcing me to build a building with 20% commercial that I'm afraid 20% is not going to be rented out. So, all, so, so we were pushing, Sue was pushing for 30% commercial, but the developers were on all Cleveland going. Cleveland Avenue the in one area. The developers were all going like. No way. That's because wouldn't you rather build a condo, sell it, and get the hell out? Yeah, they do. <laughs> and that's and also in Vancouver, they actually had to put restrictions on building residential because the whole downtown peninsula was going to become one, you know, just going to become wall-to-wall -wall condos. Exactly. So then council, how smart we are, we could say that piece of property is commercial. And we could take... One of those corners in the downtown where there's a big parking lot out in front and a little row of stores in behind, and we could rezone that commercial. I mean, that property owner wouldn't be very happy, but we could rezone that commercial. But I mean, it still is, if, if there's enough need for commercial, 
why is somebody not building that commercial building? Yeah, that's a good point, Sue. We built a commercial building because we needed a commercial building. It took us seven years. I had a small business when I came here. I needed a space to build my clinic. I waited 10 years. They didn't adopt the OCP. The OCP had been uh, reviewed and gone over, and it took... Uh, I ran in to in, when when did we get in Ted 2011? I ran in 2011 on adopting the OCP that I had engaged on in 2001. I think I started engaging the OCP because when I came here, I wanted to build a clinic, and every piece of land was owned industry. And everywhere I went, I I bought a tiny little house and I wanted to build there. They said we're not sure what we're going to do with it. We have this oceanfront coming, so I. Uh, you know, I moved there anyways. I'd put the clinic in there, and then I bought a ground floor commercial space, and then I bought another ground floor. There were all these 500 square foot, 600 square foot ground floor commercial spaces. I couldn't find a place to employ people. My employees grew, and as my business grew, I couldn't fit. I was buying up all these ground floor commercial spaces. I didn't want ground floor. I didn't need ground floor. My business is a destination, but I'm forced into waiting for a building to be built. So I was waiting two or three years for every single space. And then finally, a group of us got together and said, let's build ourselves a commercial building. So a group of owners got together and we built the Cornerstone building. By the time that building was being built, the physicians had also grown, it's like seven years later, had grew their practices and needed more space. So I, I was originally promised 3,000 square feet on the second floor of the building. And I was gonna share the space with the physicians. We were gonna sell off the ground floor space. And by the time we got in there, uh, the only space that was available for me was a 1,500 square foot ground floor retail space. And because I'd committed, and it was also a really great place to be, but I've been in that place. I now have 23 employees in 1,500 square feet. And it would have been amazing to get in. But now, because we only have expensive real estate for a business to move into a ground floor retail space which is all that's being built it's really expensive so i look forward to the new buildings that possibly are being built sue should have had trump doing her negotiations for her (laughs) (laughs) anyway but you know when i hear this you know when i hear the conversation we're having and i kind of vision how things are unfolding and i realize how slow council reacts and how slow some of these buildings go i mean we've had people that came in three four years ago rezoned their land and everyone thinks wow and then there's nothing happening and and i know people are coming in and buying like sue says they're buying rows of houses you know they're saving they're saving them for the next time they're not even thinking about doing it this time they're going they're going no i think i'll just sit on those we'll we'll catch the next wave right and so I, I just see it all unrolling. And if you, if you just kind of feel how slow it goes and we get excited about all these little, you know, policies and, you know, all these things, it's just, it's just going to keep unrolling the way it's unrolling now. And, and all the problems eventually, one at a time, they get come to a head and they get resolved. I don't, I don't know. Okay, uh, fatalistic uh, approach from Ted Pryor. Uh, we got to wrap it with that. I think we pretty much got to wrap this up, but I'll, I'll give Sue a chance to get a final word in. Yeah, I just, I think that's optimistic thinking, I guess. I, uh, I think technology is rolling out at such an insane pace and the global economy is going to really have an effect on this area. 
and that we really do have to think about, we have to start protecting our area. We have to start taking in more from development so that we can afford our amenities. We can't just keep on building houses and not taking anything in and be grateful. You know, when developers come and say, oh, you need houses, we're going to build you houses. We're not thinking about anything else. We need to actually start taking in so that we can afford to build amenities that our public needs to have a pleasant lifestyle, like a new Brennan Park, like imagining things different and also imagining yeah, don't bring up economic. Brenner Park that's a whole other <laughs> that's another topic we'll get to that next time exactly but yeah so amenities for the future and start doing economic modeling better economic modeling so that we know that what we're building is adequate for the future okay and with, we're obviously not going to solve the problem today so with that I want to thank both of you for coming on the inaugural broadcast of the Sea to Sky podcast that went pretty well I, th I thought it went well yeah if you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seatoskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Seat Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.